Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Timothy Lin, and this is Egoless Leadership Training. I focus on helping frontline and middle managers build better relationships with their team members and hope to bring more meaning and authenticity into the workplace. So this is a post called The Ego Wants Revenge, which is deliberately a provocative title, but I think it's appropriate. Uh, Unfortunately, the predominant flavor of the way we work in corporate America is still one of hyper-competitiveness, power over dynamics and aggression. So this isn't anything new, but what's surprising still is that despite the mindfulness movement and other initiatives that are bringing in empathy and kindness to organizations. As recently as January 2022, the MIT Sloan Management Review ranked toxic work culture as the number one predictor of attrition in its study of the Great Resignation. So obviously anyone with experience in the workplace, uh, you know, whether in enterprise organizations or in smaller medium-sized businesses, will likely have come across toxicity in the workplace, which we can generally characterize as behavior and culture that uh, unconsciously produces leaders that utilize a do-as-I-say approach, leadership that doesn't receive employee input well, teams that are hyper-competitive to the point of losing sight of the overall well-being of the company, um, promoting short-term gains at the cost of long-term health, lack of psychological safety among teams, and in general, profits over people, so seeing employees as pawns or a means to an end. Uh, My own experience with toxic culture in the agency world didn't come as any surprise. So being in business development and pitching millions of dollars of revenue with C-suite leadership uh, exposed me to various leaders across the holding company their teams and their approaches. Uh, And what I observed was that there was one factor that seemed to constantly contribute to arguments, stress, reduced productivity, and tension more than others. And that was blame. So blame culture is well well documented and the latest uh, neuroscience studies have shown that humans are actually hardwired to blame. So a Harvard Business Review article called Blame Culture is Toxic, Here's How to Stop It, uh, talks about brain imaging research that shows the amygdala, um, shows that the amygdala usually concludes that bad things happen on purpose. And it's very, very quick at making that conclusion. Uh, So while there's a lot written and studied on blame culture and strategies of how to fix it, Uh, My exploration of ego dynamics at work um, in this post and podcast begins by questioning why blame is such a strong tendency in individuals and how we collectively and unwittingly contribute to toxic culture. So if you ask any leader, it's not likely that they're going around intentionally creating a culture of blame. So while there have been strategies and suggestions offered on how to create a blame-free culture. Not so much detail has been offered um, or or provided on the underlying causes of why we blame. 
And in order to do this, we actually need to break free of the language that we've traditionally used to describe work and turn to the arenas of psychology, spirituality, and ancient wisdom teachings, because we will need the language of these fields to truly dig into the root of blame itself. And um, as I've talked about before in other posts and in other podcasts, ego develops from a loss of contact with our natural way of being, our natural sense of being. And each disconnection primarily falls into one of nine categories. Um, this loss um, is what we call ego deficiency. It's a sense that something is missing in us, some deep suspicion that we don't have something fundamental in order to function and thrive. This is sometimes described as an existential whole or a fundamental kind of emptiness. But whatever way we describe it, the consistent characteristic is always one of feeling deficient in some essential way. So the ego deficiency that's most relevant to blame and what we're exploring here is the loss of intrinsic power. And when I say power in this context, it isn't in our conventional sense or definition of the word power. So this is a really important distinction to make. We, we culturally think of power as a possession of control, authority, and ability to influence others. So typically we speak of power in relation to another. So I have power over you or we think of power in terms of quantity. I have lots of power, which is to say, I have lots of influence to make something happen. And this, cons this conventional sense of power is used in relation to really the physicality of our world. So if I have lots of power, I'm able to produce an effect that will have an impact in the physical world. Or if a car engine has lots of power, it's able to physically accelerate faster than one with less power. So there's a kind of comparative um, definition in the conventional way that we use power. But the power that uh, I'm referring to here is an, an innate kind of power and primarily one that gives the ability to contact our essential nature. So it's impossible to talk about this kind of power without bringing in the spiritual dimension because ultimately it's in this dimension that we have lost contact with our intrinsic power, uh, which results in the formation of our ego. So power in the way that I'm talking about it here is an inherent and intrinsic part of who we are. It gives us a sense of strength and capacity, and it actually is the confidence to engage in the challenges of our lives, not in a desperate way. Like when we actually feel the lack of this kind of power, we tend to need to muster up some kind of gung-ho and can-do-it pushing kind of energy. But intrinsic power is the very capacity to stay in the moment and 
be in contact with our spiritual nature, which is inherently relaxed, open, connected, and secure. So it can be expansive, but not rigid, unashamed, but not prideful. Uh, and power gives us the ability to be authentic in the face of difficulty with others and keeps us from being knocked over by other people's opinions and judgments. Uh, so another way to say this is intrinsic power stands alone. It simply and essentially is, and therefore can't be measured and compared in the same way that we do um, in our conventional use of the word power. So the issue here is that the majority of humanity has lost contact with this intrinsic sense of power. So it's important here that um, when I say that, I, I don't mean that uh, anybody has lost their inherent power. Uh, we've only lost our knowing of it. So um, this happens usually somewhere in our early development where our own power wasn't mirrored or validated by our caregivers, our parents, our teachers, our family, wh whatever it was. So perhaps you were put down by your parents and were unable to be fully yourself, which by nature, we are quite powerful beings. If you look at uh, any young kid, they have a lot of power uh, emanating from their being. Uh, maybe you were harshly reprimanded when you felt this innate sense of power and expressed yourself fully. Um, so in the cases where uh, you weren't allowed to be so big, you know, the, your parents told you to, that you were too big for your britches or to take it down a notch. Uh, in other cases, uh, there might be trauma with authority figures that may have occurred to make, make you doubt uh, this sense of inherent power. Uh, this could happen spiritually, religiously, or at school. There might be some messages that have really disconnected you from the spiritual dimension of being, uh, which ultimately then disconnects you from the sense of uh, inherent power. But whatever way this disconnection happened, the result is the tragic loss of contact with the ability to stay with, recognize, be aware of, or contact the essence of being. We can call this spirit or soul, or when we lose contact, um, when we lose contact, it's an excruciatingly painful experience of powerlessness. Um, as if we were somehow torn from something innate, good, supportive, and loving. And there was nothing that we could do about it. And because of this terrible powerlessness, we are left with an empty feeling of deficiency, which is where the ego comes in with its desperate attempts to fill that emptiness and reacquire some sense of power. So the ego is really ingenious. It's like a morphable band-aid that perfectly molds and shapes to cover the wounds of our spirit and of our soul. 
So ego can never be the soul, but the ego does its best to maintain some semblance of what we've lost contact with. And the problem is that while our soul is inherently whole, the ego is inherently wounded. And in the case where we've lost contact with intrinsic power, which is, you know, characterizes our natural state, our essential being, the ego responds to the experience of powerlessness with two corresponding beliefs. The first is that someone or something is to blame for this powerlessness. And the second conclusion is that there is no innate sense of power. You have to seize it for yourself and you have to seize it outside of yourself. So in the first belief or conclusion, the ego interprets powerlessness as a terrible crime that's happened and that someone is to blame for it and someone must pay for it. So someone's guilty of this experience and if you slow down enough to attune to this felt sense of this experience, you'll realize that this sense of being slighted is very commonplace and our instinctive reaction is for vengeance, for revenge, which um, is a hard thing for people to comprehend, but that's exactly what the ego tries to do. And the vengeance is intended to right some wrong that was done. And only when vengeance is satisfied will the ego rest. And of course, by the time we're adults, vengeful behavior has been conditioned and suppressed to varying degrees. And we aren't so aware of that uh, or don't allow ourselves to feel it. But our ego by its very nature has this quality of wanting vengeance in it. Um, <clears throat> the second conclusion that we talked about here is that the ego um, feels like it needs to seize power. So if there is no innate or inherent power available, then of course it makes sense to the ego that you have to acquire power when you can. And this leads to seeing the world through the lens of um, kind of a dog-eat-dog -dog perspective. So remember, because of the loss of contact with this inherent power, we have also lost contact with the spiritual dimension and the spiritual sense of our being, something deeper, something more meaningful. And then the world, the ego views and experiences the world from only its physicality. So prioritizing, it prioritizes the biological imperative to acquire, attract, win. And the world of the ego is isolated into separate and distinct objects without any connectivity or cohesion that the spiritual dimension provides. And what's more that these separate and distinct objects are not inherently good or nice. You know, you, you must show no mercy to survive in this world because everything is against you. You know, this is, again, from the lens of this particular ego dynamic. Um, and that's why everything from this ego perspective is focused on the external, the material world, trying to acquire all of these things from the outside. 
because the ego is seeing a reality through the filter of powerlessness. And so the ego interprets the world as cutthroat, unforgiving, you know, where the overarching principle is the survival of the fittest. So things like compassion and love, empathy, kindness, contemplation, peace, vulnerability, uh, the qualities that arise from the spiritual dimension and are actually part of the spiritual dimension, these become more suppressed, more difficult to access. And um, the ego, because it's lost its contact with the spiritual ground of reality, uh, it also loses its contact to the qualities of the heart, qualities of connection, of uh, unity, which again, uh, from the ego's perspective is if we allow that, we'll experience that painful sense of powerlessness that it's so badly tried to avoid. Uh, so this worldview ends up resulting in ego activity that's imbued with a kind of deep-seated anger and aggression. You can feel it as a stealing oneself against the world, uh, which on an individual level can manifest as being the top dog at any cost. So in extreme cases, the ego projects this onto God, the universe, the world itself. You know, God has caused this powerlessness and must pay. The universe has caused this powerlessness and must be held accountable. The world itself, through its meanness, caused this power, powerlessness, and um, I'm going to take what's owed to me. So the core belief of this ego dynamic is that the world is unjust, and I need to be strong to survive. And strength, in this case, specifically means wielding power in the world. So the ego then views others as pawns to get the power they want, which inevitably ends up making it difficult to be in relationship with others. You know, this kind of uh, using people uh, tends to dismiss the other person's value or uniqueness, particularly their feelings, because they're seen as weak or as an obstacle to the ego feeling secure and protected. So the ego and the person that has this predominant power dynamic, this uh, kind of ego dynamic and filter of reality also tends towards aggression, blame, and an overall sense, uh, a lack of sensitivity. So when we bully others or put others down, the unconscious inner experience can be traced back to the feeling of inner powerlessness. And when we fail to consider others around us for the sake of accomplishing a goal, the unconscious inner experience is dominated by a belief that our survival depends on it. And if we don't make it happen or make others do it, then something bad will happen. In other words, we will feel powerless again. So from the ego's point of view, there's no grace, no goodness. It's all up to us to make it happen. 
and a hardness appears in these patterns because there's no room for softness. Um, the ego believes that, you know, that it's the one that needs to set the record straight to make things right. And because of this view, the ego also dismisses vulnerability as a weakness and therefore ends up shutting down emotions and feelings in oneself and in others. So at the individual level, obviously this ego dynamic shows up in varying degrees. Um, so, you know, obviously not everyone is in the most extreme cases. Uh, for those of you, or for those who um, kind of have this sense of ego aggression, or this is the predominant uh, feeling or filter that we see things through, uh, it may only appear as a kind of bluntness or boisterousness. Uh, you might just have a natural tendency to take up the entire room or tend to not consider how other people might be feeling. Um, so maybe it's just a lack of refined sensitivity or a tendency toward reaction. You know, but in extreme cases, the ego's attempt at power becomes really inappropriate and without limits. So we see this with Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. It's um, totally without consideration of uh, how it's his behavior and the actions are actually impacting everyone who's involved. So the ego on this end of the spectrum refuses to compromise. And it actually is bent on the capitulation of others because it supports its own sense of power. Yeah, again, stemming from this experience of powerlessness, uh, a lack of contact with uh, our own inherent and innate sense of power. So it therefore uses aggression to intimidate and overwhelm others with intensity and loudness. So obviously this impacts the way that we work and I'll be discussing that in the next post and podcast in detail of how this particular ego dynamic ends up impacting our behavior at work or approach to work and ultimately our culture at work. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on Egoless Leadership Training, please visit my website at www.egolessleaders.com. You'll find a host of offerings for both individuals as well as team and corporate trainings. If you have a question, please feel free to drop me a note at timothy at egolessleaders.com or leave a comment. Thank you and have an awesome day.